is African News Tonight on The Voice of America. Hello and welcome. Welcome to African News Tonight from the English to Africa service of The Voice of America, your source for Pan-African news and world developments. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. Coming up on African News Tonight... South Africans that that won. That's uh, singer Nomsebo Zikode, who's actually probably best known for her song, or the song she sang on, Jerusalem. That's host and producer of VOA's Music Time in Africa, Heather Maxwell, talking about the winner of the best global performance in last night's Grammy Award ceremony. Details coming up. Also, Nigerian central bank authorities are calling for calm amid protests over cash and fuel shortages. The Global Water Partnership says the climate crisis is a water crisis. And there was a march today in Sudan protesting the establishment of diplomatic relations with Israel. We'll have these stories and more on African News tonight. We start with our top story. Mali's military government has ordered the riots chief with the UN peacekeeping mission in the country to live to leave by tomorrow. Annie Reisenberg reports from Bamako, Mali. Mali's military government ordered the UN peacekeeping mission's human rights chief on Sunday to leave the country within 48 hours. Guillaume Ngefa Atondonko Andali is the director of the Human Rights Division of the United Nations Multidimensional Integrated Stabilization Mission in Mali, or MINUSMA. A government statement read on state TV station ORTM by presenter Ibrahim Traore and later posted to the station's Facebook page declared Andali persona non grata, or unwelcome. He says this measure follows the destabilizing and subversive actions of Mr. Andali in flagrant violation of the principles and obligations that must be observed by United Nations officials. The statement said Andali was biased in his selection of witnesses testifying at the UN Security Council. Malian activist Aminata Sheikh Diko at a January 27 Security Council meeting accused Mali's government of working with Russian military partners who committed rights abuses. The Malian government statement did not mention Diko by name, but accused Andali of selecting usurpers to speak to the council. Several countries have accused Mali of working with Russian mercenaries to fight Islamist insurgents, but the government says it only works with official Russian instructors. Several journalists and rights groups have reported on alleged abuses committed by Russia's Wagner group of mercenaries in Mali. The UN peacekeeping mission, MINUSMA, did not immediately comment on the announced expulsion and does not have a spokesperson in Mali. Mali in July expelled MINUSMA's spokesperson, Olivier Salgado, after he tweeted about the arrival of Ivorian troops as support for a UN contingent. Mali's military government said the 46 troops were mercenaries, detained them for seven months, and in December sentenced them to 20 years in prison for conspiring against the government. Three female troops released in September were sentenced to death in absentia. The government finally released them all in January under threat of sanctions by the economic community of West African states. Separately, Mali's Ministry of Foreign Affairs announced Sunday that Russia's foreign minister, Sergei Lavrov, would be visiting Mali today and Tuesday. French troops helped Mali in 2013 after Islamists took over the north of the country, but withdrew their forces last year over concerns about Mali working with Russian mercenaries. Mali's military overthrew the government in August 2020 after popular protests over its failure to stop the insurgents. Annie Reisenberg for VOA News, Bamako, Mali. 
Dozens of people protested in Sudan today against plans for diplomatic relations with Israel, chanting no normalization and holding banners saying military leader Abdul Fattah al-Burhan committed a betrayal after last week's surprise visit by the Israeli foreign minister. Abdul Rahman Khalil, the spokesperson for the Sudanese Foreign Affairs Ministry, downplayed the protest saying people are free to demonstrate. In 2020, the United Arab Emirates, Bahrain and Morocco all normalized relations with Israel as part of a U.S.-brokered Abraham's Accords. Sudan separately announced plans to establish diplomatic ties with Israel in a deal brokered by the administration of former U.S. President Donald Trump. Southern Turkey has been struck by a powerful earthquake along the Syrian border. Authorities have confirmed nearly 1,000 dead and hundreds more injured with a state of emergency declared. Calls are out for international assistance. Dorian Jones reports from Istanbul. A man calls out to someone buried deep in the rubble of a collapsed apartment block in the southern city of Malatya. All over southern Turkey, rescuers are in a desperate race against time to find survivors following one of the most powerful earthquakes to strike the country in decades. Videos on social media show streets have destroyed apartment blocks due to the quake, which had a magnitude of 7.8 according to preliminary readings. Collapsing buildings hampered rescue efforts as powerful aftershocks shook the region. Professor Orhan Tata of Turkey's Disaster Response Agency, Afad, warned of the scale of the aftershocks. Tata said there has been more than 100 aftershocks. Three of them are above 6.6. And there has just been another earthquake centred in the town of Elbistan, triggered by the initial quake. Turkish Vice President Fuat Oktay said more than 1,700 buildings had collapsed by late morning. Interior Minister Suleyman Soylu said all the country's resources are being mobilised. Soylu said all of Turkey's governors were on duty. He added the gendarmerie, police and the Turkish armed forces, disaster and emergency teams. Turkish Red Crescent and search and rescue teams from all over the country were being dispatched to the region. The earthquake struck at 4.15am local time between the cities of Karaman Marash and Gaziantep. Two state hospitals were among the buildings that collapsed Monday in southern Turkey. The strong quake surpasses the 1999 shock that hit close to Istanbul and killed more than 17,000 people. Many people in the region are on the streets in sub-zero temperatures. Severe winter conditions are hampering rescue efforts due to heavy snow in the region. Many roads have been heavily damaged and at least one runway at an airport was rendered unusable. The Turkish government declared a state of emergency and called for international assistance. The United States issued a statement saying any and all needed assistance would be provided. Ukraine, India and Israel are also offering support as Turkey mobilises what is expected to be one of the largest emergency operations in the country's history. Syrian health officials said at least 371 people were killed in the government-held areas, while rescue workers said at least 221 others died in rebel-controlled areas. Doreen Jones for VOA News, Istanbul. 
Ethiopians are voting today in a referendum that could create the 12th regional state in the south of the country. The French news agency AFP says more than 3 million people are registered in areas that are now a part of southern nations, nationalities and people's region. What the wire service describes as a mosaic of ethnic groups and a scene of violence in recent years. Results are due on February 15th. The new state would not be the first to separate from the region since 2018. Two were created, Sidama in 2019 and Southwest two years later. Under Ethiopia's Federalist Constitution adopted over 25 years ago, the country was divided into nine regional states cut out along linguistic and ethnic lines. The idea was to offer a degree of autonomy to the scores of ethnic communities in the country through, though critics say, it has also exacerbated intercommunal tensions. You're listening to African News Tonight on The Voice of America. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. Please note, we have moved our programs from voanews.com to voaafrica.com. There, you'll find all your favorite VOA radio and TV programs and a whole lot more. Find us on voaafrica.com. The climate crisis is a water crisis, especially for Africa, says the Global Waters Partnership. It's an alliance of international organizations working to ensure the world has enough water in the future. The partnership's been an official intergovernmental observer at every United Nations climate change conference held so far. But still, it says governments are not doing nearly enough to make water security possible. Darren Taylor reports. Alex Similabwi is the executive secretary of the Global Water Partnership. The civil engineer and public policy expert developed and leads a program aimed at water security across 60 countries spanning four continents, including Africa. Less than 10% of Africa's potential in terms of hydropower is developed, particularly because we have not developed sufficient infrastructure in terms of dams that can capture the rainwater. Uh, I think with the exception of north, parts of North Africa and South Africa, which has quite a number of large dams, most sub-Saharan African countries do not have that. So when the floods come, the water ends up in the ocean. And the following year, uh, you don't have water because it's a drought. Simalabwi, a former co-chair of the World Bank Expert Group for Climate Resilience, says climate change is sparking more intense droughts and flooding across Africa. In that context, he says, the continent needs to fund small infrastructure like tanks to store rainwater, but also billions of dollars for big hydropower programs. You need that for energy production, for agriculture, so that when you have challenges in terms of drought, you have the water. We cannot be in a situation as a continent where we basically respond to the, to the changes in the rainfall cycle. We should be able to have infrastructure that should be able to help us leverage the flow of water for different economic sectors, but also for livelihoods. Simalabwi acknowledges that building large dams has the potential to harm communities, especially when governments don't respect standards set by institutions such as the African Development Bank. These standards, he says, 
ensure big reservoirs meet environmental and humanitarian regulations, protect livelihoods downstream, and conserve nature. Simalabwe has advised more than 20 African governments on the integration of water into national economic development. He also helped formulate the African Union framework for water security. He says a lot of Africa's water crises are because of bad governance, not because of climate change. Simalabwe says even when there's not corruption, local authorities don't spend on water management. There was funding going into agriculture for irrigation, funding going into health sector for sanitation, funding dedicated to water, and funding going to municipal governments, but it's not optimized in the way that you can be able to have impacts. The World Bank says Africa needs about $40 billion a year to help it achieve basic access to water and sanitation by 2030. Simalabwe says there's a shortfall of between 11 and $20 billion. He says that money needs to be available now to meet the 2030 target. Simalabwe says African governments must implement two strategies as soon as possible to ensure water security. Make best use of existing funding by employing people with the management skills to do so and involve the private sector. You can't believe it, but only about 70% of funding currently in Africa comes from the private sector. If you compare with energy and telecom, you're talking about 87% to 93% within Africa going to energy and ICT. Without collaboration between governments and private corporations, says Simalabwe, a water-secure Africa will remain a distant dream. For VOA News, I'm Darren Taylor in Johannesburg. Africa was well represented at the 2023 Grammy ceremony held yesterday in the U.S. state of Los Angeles. The ceremony was hosted by South African comedian Trevor Noah. Artists from South Africa and Nigeria were honored. For more on the matter, I talked to the host and producer of VOA's Music Time in Africa, Heather Maxwell. She starts out by listing the African artists nominated this year. Sure. Hi, Yeheus. It's nice to be with you. So the nominees were um, in the best global music performance category. That was the most, that category had the most African nominees in it. So there was the Ghanaian reggae dancehall artist Rocky Dawoni for his song called Never Bowed Down, and that featured another artist named Black Hero. There was Ugandan dance hall artist Eddie Kenzo, and he also had an American singer on that song called Matt B. And that was a Luganda and English collaboration called Gimme Love. And there was also the South African singer Nomsebo Zikode with also flutist Wouter Kellerman and DJ producer Zakes Bantwini for their song Bayete. Burna Boy for his song Last Last. So for global music category, there was Burna Boy again for his album Love Damini and Angelique Kijo with Ibrahim Malouf for an album called Queen of Sheba. Kijo was also up for best song written for visual media. And then Thames, the Nigerian singer, was up for three nominations the best melodic rap performance and best rap song, and also for a performance on album of the year by Drake called Wait For You. Let's talk about the winners. Yes. So the big winner 
was for best global music performance. We had the South Africans that that won. That's uh, singer Nomsebo Zikode, who's actually probably best known for her song or the song she sang on Jerusalem. Remember that one, Yaheas? Anyway, so this song, they won Nomsebo Zikode with uh, the flautist Wouter Kellerman and Zakes Bantwini. So Bayete, that song, is the best global music performance of 2020-2022. And then also Thames, the Nigerian singer, she also took away an award. And um, she rose to prominence, in case some of your listeners don't know who she is, after she featured on WizKids' 2020 single called Essence. Uh, and that song is still hot on many playlists, and it's, it's, a, it's a classic now. But she also took away a Grammy. So those are the two big winners of, of this year's Grammy Awards. Yeah, that makes her uh, the first female Nigerian artist to win a Grammy Awards. Ah, that's true. Yes, uh, it's 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 a first for for Nigeria, first for her. Last point: Is this an indication uh, performers in Africa are now being recognized by the uh, Western audience? Absolutely, it's been coming slowly, but in this past year, it uh, maybe the past two years, it's really so. Uh, prominent African music, especially West African Afrobeats uh, style, that the the Grammy uh, CEO, Harvey Mason, said just a few months ago back in Ghana that the Grammy Oversight Committee is considering adding Afrobeats as a category in the Grammy Awards. That was uh, the host and producer of VOA's Music Time in Africa, Heather Maxwell. She talked to me from our VOA studios in Washington. Will President Joe Biden's second annual State of the Union speech be a rerun of the first, or will he cover new ground? Analysts lay out what they expect to hear from the president in this yearly speech before a Congress that is no longer completely on his side. VOA's Anita Powell reports from Washington. This is the chance for President Joe Biden to lay out his priorities before the newly sworn in Congress. Days ahead of Tuesday night's speech, White House Press Secretary Corinne Jean-Pierre warned that the speech is often reworked until the very last moment. But, she said, some topics are a safe bet. The significant economic progress we're seeing under his leadership, his economic vision that's building our economy from the bottom up and middle out, the historic pieces of legislation passed into law over the last two years, uh, which are creating good, uh, paying middle-class jobs and delivering real results for people by fixing our roads, bridges, tunnels, lowering costs on uh, everyday goods. But, says historian Jeremy Suri, this policy speech is also, and always, politicized. He spoke to VOA on Zoom. The politics matter for policy. So this is the opportunity the president has each year to try to set the agenda and to frame the public debate in ways that will benefit uh, him and his party, but also hopefully create pressures toward the policy goals that he has. So he said he expects Biden to revisit his previous remarks on the soul of the nation and what he sees as threats to democracy from the far right. The war in Ukraine is also likely to come up, as it did a year ago, when it was in its infancy and Biden spoke of the West's need to help the nation fend off the Russian invasion. Biden has also said his administration wants new laws on abortion, gun violence, and police reform. But he faces a challenge. Congress holds the power to pass laws, and the opposition Republican Party now controls one of the two chambers. 
New House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, who will take his seat behind the president on Tuesday, is locked in a debate with Biden over how to spend American taxpayer money. Republicans seek major cuts to government spending. I've been very clear. The current path we're on, we cannot sustain. We've got to change the directory to put ourselves on a path to balance. How we get there will be our discussions. Ansari says people will be watching McCarthy's reactions as he sits behind Biden during the address. If he frowns, if he shows his displeasure, he looks dyspeptic. He looks like he's not cooperative. He looks like he's an extremist. But if he looks too happy to um, engage with President Biden, then, of course, he will alienate the far right in his party, the small group within his party and within the House, who are demanding that he take on the president. This mix of politics, policy, pomp and personalities will be on full display when Biden speaks Tuesday night. Anita Powell, VOA News, Washington. Nigerian central bank authorities are calling for calm amid protests over cash and fuel shortages day ahead of Friday's deadline when the country will switch to new redesigned currency. President Mohamed Buhari assures citizens that the problem will be addressed in a matter of days. Timothy Abiezu reports from Abuja. Central Bank of Nigeria Governor Godwin Emefiele told reporters Saturday authorities are taking measures to ensure smooth flow of the cash swap and minimize inconvenience. He said there are enough of the redesigned currency and reiterated that the deadline to exchange the old bills for the new ones will not be extended beyond February 10th. On Sunday, the CBN announced a 10-day extension from January 31st for citizens to exchange world currencies for the new 200, 500, and 1,000 Naira bills. But across many states, citizens say the new cash is yet to circulate, bringing business to a halt. The situation snowballed into protests Friday in Oyo, Delta, Oshun, and Lagos states. Angry mobs vandalized banks and gas stations. Ogo Okiti, the managing director of Business Day Media Limited, said the new policy, though profitable, is already showing signs of poor implementation. What I think is happening is that we are seeing an evidence of poor execution of the policy. There is the dimension of logistics, there's the dimension of uh, restrictions, there's the dimension of uh, accessibility. Even to make transfers online, you are not able to do that. So it's putting so much frustration and pressure on the system. Nigeria is also facing intensifying fuel shortages across the country due to a disruption in the product's distribution chain caused by the activities of cross-border smugglers. On Friday, Buhari called for calm and said he has met with officials to resolve the problem in a lasting manner. Oyo State Governor Sheyi Makinde also addressed residents in a televised broadcast condemning violence in the state's capital of Ibadan. The violence that erupted in parts of Ibadan today is condemnable and will not be tolerated. In response to this, I have suspended all campaign activities forthwith. I have also met with the heads of security agencies in Oyo State to restore calm. Violence cannot and will not solve our problems. 
But across many states, citizens say the new cash is yet to circulate and the old notes have been mostly withdrawn from circulation, making business transactions difficult. The protest was actually peaceful, but I guess the, some people actually joined. I guess all these um, political talks joined. So that's why it actually became violent and the bank was actually damaged totally because they have to buckle the ATM car, um, the ATM machine, the and um, damage the maybe like the window part. This is Nigeria's first currency swap in 19 years. Authorities say the measure is already making an impact, curbing crimes, counterfeiting, and corruption, as well as recalling the excess cash stashed away back into the banking system. Timothy Obezu for VOA News, Abuja, Nigeria. And that wraps up this edition of African News Tonight. I'm Yehei Swuhib in Washington. On behalf of our producer, Mokibilia Barrow, and our engineer, Al Santos, thanks for choosing the Voice of America.